Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is your host, John Russin. I'm here today with Pastor Frank Friedman, and we have a special guest in our virtual studio today, uh, Dr. Andrew Farley. Many of you, I'm sure, know his name, author, speaker, radio personality. Uh, Frank, give us a few words of introduction from our guest today before we begin. Well, the infamous, I mean, famous Andrew Farley. Uh, <laughs> we uh, go back quite a few years, and we, in fact, he reminded me that we actually had a beginning of Gosh, almost a couple decades ago when internet radio was first starting. But yes. uh, Andrew uh, is a dear brother, um, I think a warrior for truth, which means he's a warrior for the hearts of people. And that's what um, made me want to have him as a guest on our program, because especially in this series where we get to tell the power of, of story and Andrew has a story to tell that I think helps explain or provide a foundation for why he's such a warrior for truth. So Andrew, it's great to have you with us and thank you for carving out some time in your schedule for us. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Guys, uh, John and Frank, thank you for having me and let me just say, it's an honor to, to hang out with you guys. I appreciate you taking interest in my story, and I look forward to it. Well, we're glad to hear you say that. We're truly excited and blessed to have you here. And uh, as a reminder to our audience, this series uh, we're calling The Power of Story, where we get a chance to take some deeper looks into the lives of Christians, their experiences, their circumstances, Basically, we look at this series as Christianity in the laboratory of life. And so, Andrew, this is your story, my friend. Tell us, please, how your story began. Growing up, what was it like? Were you churched? Were you unchurched? Tell us how you, you managed the first bunch of years in your life. Yeah, so church for me was in the living room. I literally, at uh, five years old, went downstairs on a Sunday morning and in the living room, my parents had started a church. And to this day, decades later, that church is still alive and, and doing well. The congregation still meets in, in Virginia where I grew up. I grew up on a horse farm. My dad was a politician for a while and an attorney. And then he got into the hotel business, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. It wasn't always that way. My mom uh, held me in her arms when I was about six months old and said, I don't know what I'm going to teach this kid about God. And she began to pursue who God is. And uh, she was saved through a Billy Graham crusade. Uh, my dad was saved shortly after but not before he gave his testimony. He gave his testimony in a Baptist church as a lost person 
the pastor, seeing that he was influential, invited him up to give a testimony on a Sunday morning, and he was met with a massive applause. And five minutes earlier, he had whispered to my mother, I have no idea what I'm going to say up there. And she said, you'll think of something. And <laughs> he, he faked it. I mean, he said, you know, it's great to be among a Christian people and f- people with family values and to be in a conservative environment. And when he was done, everybody applauded and didn't know the difference, but my dad was still in Adam. He wasn't a saved person. And shortly after he did receive Christ, but uh, I just, I think that's a, that's an interesting uh, little window into American church where with our country club religion, we think conservative values is what Jesus is about. And sometimes we know very little about what it means to have life But yeah, I grew up in a Christian home and my parents were believers by the time I was one. And from there, it was a pretty standard life as a child growing up on a farm in Virginia. And and I guess it wasn't until about 18 years old that things got really strange. What I mean by that is things got really intense. I, I went off to college and decided that After the shaming I had received from the Christian school and Christian background that I grew up in, I I really felt this shame. I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't being enough. Uh, There were altar calls every week. I wasn't going up front enough. So I went off to college and decided that I was really going to show off for God. And I can tell you more about that. I don't know how much we want to go into it, but man, it was an intense time of being in church every time the doors were open and uh, witnessing on the streets of Greece and Italy and in halfway houses and jails and prisons and trying to get God to like me and trying to be sold out. And I, I ended up on the floor of my apartment begging God for answers. I was absolutely miserable and my Christian life wasn't working. And you know, to make a long story short, it was like 10 years of recovery, replacing old thoughts with new thoughts. And at the center of that was the new covenant and this message of grace that God used to rescue me. Wow. You mentioned a word, Andrew, you mentioned the word shame. Growing up in a Christian home, apparently attending Christian schools, you said that you were just basically not doing enough and you were shamed. Can you explore for our listeners a little more about what that looked like? how it made you feel, and in retrospect, perhaps what was really happening. Yeah, so I I grew up in a flavor of Christianity where everybody felt fantastic about eventually making it to heaven, but you were slammed in the meantime with rededicate, recommit, walk the aisle, do more. Have you done your quiet time today? How many quiet times have you missed? Whom have you witnessed to lately? How did it go? Accountability groups, quiet time check-ins, altar calls. I mean, that was just the beginning. By the time that I was 18 years old, I had experienced that, well, three or 400 times. And yeah, the message that I had received was basically God's in love with a future version of me and I'm not there yet. And if I could just get there, 
then he would be really happy with me. But right now he's frustrated. He's wringing his hands and he's in love with this future version of me that is witnessing more and reading more and studying more and more dedicated and more sold out. So when I went to college, I decided I'm hitting the reset button mm. and I'm going all the way. I'm going more than anybody I've ever known. And so I skipped all my classes. I was on the streets of Greece and Italy, evangelizing in other languages, trying to pick up as much Greek and Italian as I could in six weeks time, going door to door and street to street. I, I was trying to live an early church experience and nothing would stop me. Uh, my grades wouldn't stop me. My teachers wouldn't stop me. My parents wouldn't stop me. I was convinced that you know, at any cost, I was going to please this God. And at the end of it, I was depressed and disillusioned and I was miserable. I mean, if I were being totally honest back then on the streets of, of Italy, I would have said, do you want to become a Christian and be miserable like <laughs> I am? I mean, yeah, it, wow. it was an invitation to join the army is what it felt like and not a family, but an army. And so Man, I mean, I was absolutely devastated, quit university for eight months, went home, got counseling, sought answers. And that was really the beginning of when I started to recalibrate and, and just started to admit, hey, I mean, this thing is all about me and what I'm doing. And it's not about Jesus and what he did. And I've got a me-centered theology and it stinks. Um, and I'm never enough and I, I can never do enough. And, and that's when the message of God's grace, which I had already heard, I mean, I'd heard it for a few years, God's grace. I mean, but it wasn't until I was desperate and my formula was broken. It wasn't until then that it made any sense to me. Yeah. Wow. Andrew, listening to you, it's, if I could maybe synopsis it, you tried to become that future perfect you almost, you know, yeah. and it's, I'd always tell people it's exhausting to try to be God when you don't have the resources. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would say, you know, somewhere between the apostle Paul and uh, Jesus himself. I mean, I had these models set up and man, I was just, I was trying to be dedicated and committed and sold out to that degree with that as the benchmark and that as the standard, not any person I'd ever met. No, I'm talking about like early church stuff and it fried me. Wow. You know, uh, Andrew, we had um, Steve Pettit on, I guess about six weeks ago, and he made a statement that has just reverberated in my mind for these last several weeks. He's a guy who had to, his ministry for 40 years was on college campus. So he was always being challenged with the question, why Christianity is unique. And, you know, people all say, what's well, a relationship, not a religion, things like that. But Steve's line to those kids was this. He said, Christianity is unique because it's the only way to God where you begin your journey perfect with faith mm -hmm. in Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And well, that's, that's huge. Yes. Yeah. I love that. 
man, if I could go back in the words of mercy, me and Bart Millard, if I could go back to that younger me and tell him, yes. tell him what you just said, uh, and what Steve just said, I mean, that's wisdom right there that, hey, uh, we're not just forgiven, we're perfectly forgiven. We're not just righteous, we're perfectly righteous. And that gets you off the treadmill and you start to enjoy Jesus instead of trying to work for him. Indeed. You know, I'm listening to your story, Andrew, and when you reach that critical turning point, when you left home and you headed off to university, yeah. So many other people I know have basically said, I've flown the coop. I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm going to explore the other side of the coin. And they go off the deep end mm -hmm. and live everything they've always wanted to, mm -hmm. but couldn't because they were constrained by their uh, religious background. But you didn't. You decided to almost become a Pharisee. So that's mm -hmm. that's an interesting an interesting approach. What led you to not turn left and go off the deep end like so many others? Yeah, you know, first I would say, well, you know, at about seven or eight years old, I did receive Christ into my life. And so I was aware of Jesus living in me the whole time. But you got to understand, like my personality early on, I was a class clown and I was student body president and I was popular and funny and, uh, you know, pulling pranks and getting in trouble. Of course, granted, I'm in a Christian school, so we're not talking about like, you know, uh, super crazy stuff here. We're not, I didn't ever get into uh, drugs or, or drunkenness or anything like that, but I, I was a goofball. I was a class clown. I was definitely, you know, more like that. And so in the environment I was in, I was absolutely told directly or indirectly that I'm a second-class citizen in God's kingdom, that if I'm saved at all, that God doesn't like uh, the humor I've got. God doesn't like, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the way I'm acting with pranks and jokes and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's the shame I felt. It was in a very legalistic environment that I started being afraid to be myself. And I thought that I had to be somebody else to be okay. And so, I mean, I literally flipped a switch when I went to college and I thought nobody here knows me. They don't even know my name yet. I can be anything I need to be. So why not be, you know, Christian militant warrior guy. And I mean, even looking back, Look, I had a heart, a new heart in Christ, and I had passion, and I, I have a lot of that today that I love and enjoy about who God has made me, but it got twisted, and it got warped, and the focus was wrong, and it got about, uh, you know, quantifying things and trying to measure up, and it, it became about me instead of being about Jesus. And so that's where it really got miserable. I mean, 30 years ago, I was a train wreck. Mm -hmm. You said you got some discipleship and uh, what was the key moment? Did you have an aha moment in those months of discipleship, Andrew, where the light sort of went on and, yeah. and there was like a 180? Yes, yes, I did. 
it was Atlanta, Georgia, and it was at a gas station. And it was the most peculiar thing because I had just received about six hours of counsel from a guy in Atlanta. And coming out of that with my dad, we drove away from the counseling office and we had a rental car. We were going back to the airport to go home and we stopped off at the gas station to fill up. And I got out, started filling the car and somebody pulled up next to us to get out, to fill up their car. And the first thought that hit me is I need to go over there and I need to witness to this person. And that's what I'd been doing for weeks and months and even more than a year solid. I had been dropping whatever I'm doing and heeding this uh, so-called call or this leading to go over and witness to anybody imaginable, anywhere, anytime with no relationship, just in their face, whether they want to hear it or not, because I've got to, got to do this. So I get this thought and then... For the first time in more than a year, my next thought is, wait a minute, even though that thought sounds good and sounds religious, that's unhealthy, it's not of God, and I need to be sound-minded and trust the Lord that I'm free to get back in this car and keep driving to the airport with my dad, and I don't have to feel pressure or guilt over this and I'm free. And when I decided to accept that thought in the face of what I thought was quote unquote spiritual and religious, I mean, I was addicted guys. I was addicted to witnessing. So I told you earlier, I never did drugs. Well, this was my drug. My drug was street evangelism. So to get in that car and not witness to somebody was a beautiful turning point for me because I started to get acquainted with this Jesus that wasn't forcing me or pressuring me or guilting me or prodding me into a bunch of unhealthy stuff, but I could trust him and that he was going to take care of me and renew my mind and help me get free from this. Hmm. You know, I've had a lot of people in my office like that Andrew, not to the extent you went, but one of the things they struggled with was their pastor had leveled that Old Testament verse on to them that people's blood was going to be on their heads. Was that any part of this for you, or was it mainly a focus of simply attaining a right standing for you? Yeah, so... I would say it was a nice mix of those two. There was a genuine concern for uh, this dead spiritual world and helping them find Jesus. I can look back at my high school experience, ninth to 12th grade. I mean, we had chapel every day, every day, not every week. We had chapel every day. We had altar calls probably once a week. There were only like 300 kids in our whole high school. So, you know, there were 16 people, actually 300 in the whole school, 16 in my class, and only five guys, and three of them were named John. So how many (laughs) times can you have an altar call for John? I mean, come on. (laughs) We're having altar calls every week. We're seeing the same people go up and come back and go up and come back. And it just created this roller coaster emotion for all of us. And I think what I took away from that after... 100, 200 sermons on please witness and please read your Bible, which every, you know what it's like, Frank, I mean, anybody can steer a sermon anywhere. So 
you read any verse from the Old or New Testament, you wrap it up with, here's the application, please go witness more, please read your Bible more, please have your quiet time more, and we'll see you next time. And I mean, that was literally how every sermon ended. And when you've heard that hundreds of times, I mean, you just feel like a real zero. You just feel mm. completely bankrupt of any value um, in terms of your relationship with God. So um, man, I did it. I did it to get status. I did it to, mm. to gain approval and status and and little did I know it would absolutely destroy any sense of fulfillment in my whole life at that time. Wow. What was it like when you got in that car? Was it like the prison gates opened? Was it a fearful step out of those prison gates? Or was it like an exhilaration? Or, you know, what happened yeah. in those days following that aha moment? Well, definitely. Look, I'm driving away from the gas station and the thoughts are still there. Hey, you wimp. What's wrong with you? You you too scared to sell out and go preach to that guy? Hey, what are what are you? Uh, some kind of weak, lightweight Christian? I mean, that sort of accusation was hitting me and then just decided that that's not God. He's not an accuser like that. And so mm. I made those micro choices on the way to the airport and then I mean, look, I, I would love to tell you that it was a lightning bolt out of the sky and that, boom, you know, I, I had this whole new experience after that. It wasn't like that. It was more like at least at least three years of deprogramming, um, following a false leading every once in a while, getting distracted by that and then coming back and saying, wait a minute. No, no, no. Remember Remember what Jesus really looks like. Remember that you can trust the new heart he's given you, that he's going to work through your desires. He's going to renew your mind. You don't have to obey these sort of extraneous uh, leadings to, to impress him. And that took me years to mm -hmm. deprogram and to get healthy and start believing that God is good. I mean, you know, just... Here, let me give you an example. Senior year, I had to take a religion course because it was required in our university. So I'm taking a religion course on the heels of all of this. And I'm scared because there's a final presentation at the end of the year. And I'm scared to stand up and talk about God because I've already told him, hey, I'm taking a vacation here. I need to get my bearings again. And yet the assignment is talk about God. So my paper was on God, the father, that's, that's the topic I was given. So I went through, this is how petrified I was of saying the wrong thing. I read the entire new Testament from Matthew to revelation. I wrote down every single verse about the father and about God's character in general. And then I wove it together as a report, and I read it sentence by sentence, and every sentence had verses attached because I was petrified of telling the class the wrong thing. And at mm -hmm. the end of my report, the overwhelming conclusion of the class was this account of God is beautiful, but it couldn't possibly be biblical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
they didn't know I was obsessed with biblical accuracy at that time. At the last minute, the night before I, I presented, I got nervous about how hokey it looked to have all those verses in parentheses after each sentence. So I pulled them out, put them at the end, and nobody noticed that every sentence had a footnote or an end note, and they couldn't believe that God was as good as I was describing, that it was a pie-in-the-sky description, that it sounded good, but it wasn't the God of the Bible. Those were their exact reactions, and I just remember thinking, wow, I have got to get my bearings on how good this God is because I know, I know that I looked all this stuff up, and he really is this good. Wow. You know, it's a common thing that I hear. In fact, maybe I can back up, Andrew. I'm so glad you shared that part of your journey that it took time because I think so many people, even when they come into grace, have expectations that they'll walk in grace immediately. And it takes time not only to renew with truth, but to refute the lies and lies we believe about God, about ourselves. And one of the common things I've heard when we teach the message of who God really is in a new covenant economy is they say, finally, I have found the God I always knew was there, but couldn't find in church. That's such a sad testimony, but yes. unfortunately it's, it's very accurate. Yes, yes, it is. And you know, I just desperately needed to know this, guys. I, I, I had no bearings. I had no understanding of how to think in a healthy way and, you know, taking every thought captive. Well, captive to what? Captive to who? And what's he like? And what's his criteria for what's a, a healthy thought? So I just remember soaking in the book of Hebrews, soaking in the book of Romans, starting to realize my identity in Christ, and then just going absolutely extreme and drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know what, I am going to filter out this garbage that I've been thinking about God. And I don't care how pervasive the thought is, how loud the thought is, how familiar the thought is, man, if it's not lining up, I'm going to ditch this. And for my own life, my own safety, like I need to get a healthy view of the gospel and of God, because I mean, the enemy's tactic, honestly, was to get me on the streets, get me by myself, become a Lone Ranger Christian. And I mean, I had some very strange things happen where I'm pretty sure my life was threatened a number of times. I, I mean, I was witnessing in a neighborhood full of drug dealers. I got beat up, thrown to the ground, hit over the head with a two by four, kicked by people as I was trying to get up and leave. I mean, I was in brawls and I was in physical danger. And I think that's the enemy's goal was, is to steal mm. and kill and destroy. And I think that's what he wanted for me. And so I desperately needed a healthy, accurate view of how good God really is. I'm listening to you talk. And I know that a lot of our listeners will have had backgrounds, church experiences, upbringings, very similar to yours. Mm -hmm. And you had your epiphany at your gas station moment when Father began to open your eyes and you described the process. Can you tell our listeners who are struggling with the same legalistic deceptions that you had, what you did 
Can you give them some first steps, some hope to hang on to? How do they approach the fact that they're, they think there's truth out there, they think they know what it is, but they're struggling so hard against the bondage that they've been carrying for so many years? Can you give some insight to our listeners about that? Yeah, I, I would just say, please expect the extraordinary. I mean, when it comes to forgiveness, this is off the chart stuff. Imagine being forgiven for your next sin and your next sin, even before you dream it up, your next sin and your next sin, and then next week and next month and next year, like that's how radical the gospel is and that's how good it is. So expect the extraordinary. I mean, when it comes to living under grace, we're not just talking about grace for heaven. We're talking about grace for today, grace for today. You're, you're okay. No matter what you can't ruin this. You can't mess this up. This is, you know, scale of one to 10. This is an 11. You've got grace before you and beneath you and behind you. And on every side, like Romans five says, we stand in grace. We're surrounded by grace. It's grace upon grace. So you know, you talk about the identity we have. Here we are preaching little sermonettes, I'll call them little wimpy, innocuous sermons about getting closer to God. And then you crack open the Bible and it says you're one spirit with the Lord and you're united with him. And it doesn't get any better than that. Like this is off the charts, clean and off the charts, close. And we just got to know how good of a job Jesus did it. It was perfect and it's finished. And so I, I guess I would just say, expect the awesome and entertain the possibility that the gospel is better than you've ever imagined and that Jesus did more for you than you ever thought possible. Uh, don't settle, don't settle in, in your thought life. Don't settle for, you know, being an eight out of 10 or a six out of 10 or a nine out of 10. Don't settle for that. What you want is to know the radical righteousness that Jesus gave you. Um, that's what it's all about, bragging on Jesus and knowing that he made you perfect before him. And, and that's incredible. Boy, Andrew, that's a great thought. If it is from God, it should be incredible. It should be almost unbelievable. One of my favorite artists was Rich Mullins, and one of his lines was, it's too good to be real, but more real than the air we breathe. And, and that's God. That's, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. John, how are we on time? Uh, I want to make sure that Andrew gets a chance to share about his new book. Well, we are about 30 minutes in, so we've got a few more minutes left. Andrew, can you tell us just a little bit about your publishing ministry, your radio ministry, your newest book, and then we're going to ask you one last question, but I'll save that for the end. So go ahead and, uh, and plug yeah. yourself to your heart's content. Okay. Well, John, uh, thanks. Um, so the website that, that we have is, is andrewfarley.org. About five years ago, I quit my job at Texas Tech. I was a professor for 16 years and loved doing that and got some experience writing and teaching uh, at the university. And then while I was pastoring on the side, by the 16th year, it just became clear that, uh, you know, I had a passion and a focus that I wanted to be in ministry for the rest of my life. So we formed a nonprofit and I do a radio program every night. If folks haven't heard it yet, it's basically 
a live call-in program and people can ask whatever they want. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, we have people that are suicidal, people that are looking for the answer to a, a Bible question or a personal problem. So every night on Sirius XM and also on Facebook and YouTube, we have a program, Andrew Farley Live. You can catch it on those platforms. You can also go to our website at andrewfarley.org. And I write books and I pastor a church. And my latest book uh, is with Tim Chalice, uh, who you, you guys know well. He's a, a dear friend of mine. He's been an amazing mentor to me in many ways. And I decided, you know what, I've got three books in the queue. Why not do one with him? It's what we've always talked about. So it's called The Perfect You. And the subtitle is God's Invitation to Live from the Heart. And it's all about, you know, who we are and being inspired freely by Christ within us, um, not out of pressure or obligation. So uh, Tim and I wrote that book. It's called The Perfect You. And it came out two weeks ago. Wow, that's exciting. I got to ask, as a retired university professor and vice chancellor, yes. do you miss the university at all? Um, you know, I, I miss the challenge of, of academia in some ways, but I, I got to say that, John, I, I think I'm having the time of my life now. I, I love what I do, and I get to wake up every day and enjoy relationships and talking about Jesus and counseling people, helping people. I love to see the light bulb go on in people's lives the way that it did for me. Yeah, that's uh, cool, after, isn't it? Yeah, after that tragedy of getting the whole thing wrong and realizing how great the gospel is, man, I love watching other people experience the same. Wow. You know, it, it's interesting. I used to live for my university position, but now that I've retired, I don't look back one second. I'm having so much fun now. Frank and I are working on books. We're actually working on a commentary in Galatians. And frankly, when I wake up in the morning, I think of two things. I think of riding my bicycle yep. and I think of writing. And that's basically my, my poor wife. <laughs> She's basically <laughs> a writing and writing widow. <laughs> All right, sir. We've got a few more minutes. Here's our last question, my friend. Okay. If you can give one supreme revelation that you've seen to our listeners, what would it be? If, the, if you can say one thing to them and only one thing, what would the most important thing be for you to tell them? God does not want to replace you. He wants to embrace you. When I say that, what I mean is I've heard so many messages throughout my life that basically put God in competition with us. You need to put God first. It needs to be all of him and none of you. And you end up believing that you're supposed to be an empty fire hose. Even when we say Christ lives through me, some people can get the wrong idea about that. And so it has meant a lot to me, John, just to realize Jesus is not the new creation. He made me a new creation so that I could be compatible with him, a perfect fit with him, so that it could be all of him and all of me together in a beautiful union 
Um, you know, it's kind of like the Old Testament story of the burning bush. The fire did not consume the bush. What I'm saying is Jesus doesn't consume our humanity. We're not an obstacle. We're an instrument and we're invited. We get to be part of it. I mean, lastly, I would just say, look, God already had, he already had all of him and none of us. It was before the creation of the world. He already had all of him. Why did he create us and then pursue us and then save us and then indwell us? It's because we're invited to the table to feast on his goodness. And I, I think that when Christians start seeing themselves as partners with him in union with him, that we get to be ourselves and express Jesus at the exact same time. We're the only ones who get to do that. Wow. Great thought. I love your picture of uh, the fact that we're not just an empty hose that channels the water of Christ. Uh, yeah. we're, we're joined with him together. We're a brand new creation, part him, part us, doing things uh, that only we can do together. That's a great yes. picture. My friend, Frank, any last words before we sign off on today's episode? No, I, I would just want to apply that last thought. You know, in the world, I think people are striving for significance. They're striving for a way to make their life count. And if they can just realize they're the only one that can express God the way they do, hmm. that he made one of them to be that person in union with him. Uh, there's all the significance you're ever going to need. Um, you are the unique expression of the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else can do it the way you do. That's, wow. that's just so powerful. What an encouragement. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Frank, once again, my friend, it's always an honor to be with you. And dear friends, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget, please, to check us out on our website, ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on our different social media platforms. And as always, choose hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.